Hello, and welcome to another episode of The Sensuous Sounds of InfoSec, where we discuss all things information, all things security, and all things information security. I'm Ben Maliso. And I'm Matt Snotty. And I'm Raphael. Raphael Rofty is back. Outstanding. <laughs> Glad to have you. Our number four listener, but number one in our hearts. Um, <laughs> And, and and I love it because it's like, um, oh, Rafti's here. It's exciting. And then there's Matt. And and I had listened to another uh, podcast that you were on recently, Matt, where the, the host did the same thing, where he's like, we have this guest, and, da, 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 and he names this dude. And he goes, and we also have Matt here. And uh, yeah. you just seem I'm to psychic. be omnipresent. <laughs> well, as I explained to many people, uh, I, I, I am the um, – uh, the Andrew Ridgely to to your George Michael, you know, if this were were, were the you know were, were wham, I'm I'm the sidekick, I, and I'm totally fine with that uh, that role. So yeah, I, I don't feel any uh, compulsion to to insert myself. I was just about to tell Rafty that's a wham reference. Um, you know, <laughs> Rafty's okay, probably never heard of wham. Yeah, that's, no. okay. that's all right. We'll we'll. Yeah, we'll before sort you it out later with our updated pop culture reference keyboard. Um, <laughs> all right. Uh, so this week we are going to talk about something. Uh, Rafi, you actually brought the topic to us. I, I like this idea. What are we talking about this week, Rafi? I brought two things. We can talk oh, about oh, two. We're gonna do, we'll do one of them. We're going to do multi-factor authentication. Yes, uh, great. Okay. What's good about it, why it works, what it's for. Uh, pitfalls, mm -hmm. Matt mentioned a couple that I absolutely agree with, um, and what tools individuals might use if they're going to implement multi-factor for themselves versus the mm -hmm. organizational ones we're all used to dealing with. All right, which one of you wants to explain what multi-factor authentication is? Oh, uh, oh. Jump at it. Go ahead. <laughs> yeah. I'll, I, I'll, I'll start with, with what, I, what I think it is. Um, okay, so go for it. I think that most people who have ever had a bank account or an Amazon account or um, anything uh, uh, remotely financial related, uh, probably in the last five years or so, you've probably had that account pop up when you signed into it and said, oh, you need now not to just solely use your password. You now need to have us text you a code or get an authenticator app or some sort of other way to verify uh, that you are who you are when you sign into our service. And it's a way to add security to a, a service, and in particular, online cloud-based stuff where uh, passwords get compromised so often, or uh, password databases become available on the dark web or things like that. Uh, it's, a way, it's, it's another way to verify who you are. Excellent, excellent. I love that. Outstanding. Rafti, pretty much in agreement? Yes, yes. I I did not even think about bank apps anymore, but you're right. Yeah. I'm not <laughs> sure about Amazon. I don't know if Amazon forces you to get a second factor, but yeah. Amazon yeah. gives you, at least Amazon US, gives you the opportunity to choose that option if you want to. Uh, and that's, and that's, so... how, that's how they pose it. They say, do you want to add more security to your account? All right. Mm -hmm. they, give, they give the customer the, the option. Um, mm -hmm. and, and I want to boil it out real quick just for the, the audience who, who may not be um, specifically InfoSec practitioners. A factor is a thing, an element used to authenticate that you are who you claim to be. And it's used in conjunction with the identity assertion, which is usually your name, your email address, something that does not have to be kept secret, but can be presented to say, I'm Ben Maliso, and here's not only my 
identity assertion, here's my authenticating factor. And there are three general types of factors, something you know, something you have, or something you are. And true good multi-factor includes at least two factors from each of the different types. Now, what we see, I think, most in banking isn't, isn't true multi-factor. Uh, sometimes it is, sometimes it isn't. Quite often, it's just two-factor authentication, where you're using two types of something you know, um, as opposed to something you have and something you know. But I think the banks have been trying to make the appearance that it's multi-factor by saying your phone is something you have and mm -hmm. your password is something you know, right? Does that, that sound? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, so in other words, if the bank is texting you a code, uh, a one-time code to, to enter in addition to your password, then, then yeah, that's, that's true multi-factor. Multi and I think a lot of these, well, okay. Is it? Is it? <laughs> is it? Because the, co the code is actually another something you know. They're just trying to tether it to the only way you could get this code is if right. you have the phone, which I'm not sure is true. Can you not right. clone a phone? It, it, yeah, it is possible to clone a phone. It is possible to get the same text messages on more than one device uh, if you mm -hmm. have a clone SIM card or something like that. So yes, from from that aspect, yeah, we, you're already going to the, uh, the the advanced course on MFA, Ben. <laughs> oh, I'm I was sorry. trying I to keep it okay. On, okay. on basic level for now, but but yeah, in general, yeah, it's some it's some other factor, some other way to, to uh, that that only you would be able to verify who you are. Good. Mm -hmm. All right. Mm -hmm. Awesome. And um, what do you both think? Is that is this a good practice? Are we happy that our sensitive accounts or our data is being protected in this manner in general? Yes, I like it. I mean, I agree with you. Like OTP, like one-time passwords, the uh, ones that are usually like with Google Authenticator and similar apps where you scan this QR code, um, they are now sort of moved into a password manager as well. So this is similar to what you have been saying earlier. Um, moving away from actually being a multi-factor and more being an, a second factor. Um, so I like the, the uh, word, um, uh, one-time password there a little bit more to go a little bit more specific. So I, I think what I, what I recently told somebody was because, um, password reuse, and you've been hinting at this earlier as well. Uh, one easy way to get more secure is getting uh, like a one-time password app on your phone. Um, and if you cannot get compliance from somebody to like actually use a password manager or something like that, I'm, I like using password managers. I, I would train people to use them, but many still like to use the same password everywhere. So <laughs> um, with some variation um, and those people I try to move towards um, OTP and um, getting them to use second factor to uh, it, it drastically improve their security in that regard. Awesome. So I, I like it. I, I, I kind of like it. it, you know, it, it gives, you know, that much more assurance. The things I don't like about it are the fact that really the bank isn't protecting me. The mm -hmm. bank has outsourced a security function on me. I'm taking on the onus of protecting my own data. And what I'm really protecting is the bank, because at least in the U.S., and I'm not sure about banking rules in Europe, Rafti, you may have to give us a little bit more detail. Um, I am not liable for fraudulent transactions under my account. The bank is liable for those under U.S. law, and I'm insured, which is kind of nifty. 
Um, so <laughs> if there was fraud on my account, they have to eat it. So what I'm actually doing is I'm wasting my time waiting for a text message on my phone, entering a second factor, and, and I'm protecting the bank. That's the one thing I resent about this transaction. Um, the other is the inconvenience because it does slow the login time a bit. And it seems almost arbitrary as to when they pick a condition as to when I have to enter that second factor. Because if I just use my same laptop over and over again, for the most time, the cookie is present. It realizes it's me and it lets me do what I want to do. But if I switch from my personal laptop to my work laptop or to my smartphone or to all of a sudden it says, whoa, that's that you could be someone other than Ben all of a sudden. Now we're going to make you do the second factor. So every time I try to do something, the cost of convenience starts to be infringed on. Um, yeah. Well, yeah. And, and uh, you know, security always inherently creates more inconvenience. There is, there's never been an instance of adding more security that hasn't caused uh, uh, people to complain because it takes longer to do something. Security always always does that. So the question is, you know, are you willing to trade off a, a few seconds of time to have considerably more security, assuming that, you know, that that everything works the way that it's supposed to? And in general, mm -hmm. one of the one of the things, and, and Rafi kind of touched on this a little bit. I think that we're we're slowly conditioning normal everyday users to get used to the idea that they need to have two-factor authentication. Five, ten, ten, five years ago, 10 years ago, it was always a huge inconvenience and nobody ever wanted to do anything like this. But over uh, recent time, people have gotten used to the idea of, okay, I, 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 this is just something I have to do because people that are smarter than me or people that are providing a service to me say that I have to do it. And so one of the nice things about sitting where we are currently is we don't get as many complaints. I, as an, as an administrator, don't get as many complaints whenever I check the button to turn on two-factor authentication for the entire organization. Very so cool. people have been accepting of it is what you're saying. And and, and yeah. I will say the implementation has gotten a lot better. The, yeah. the, <laughs> the cost of convenience has been greatly reduced. The impact on, on productivity has declined as the systems have gotten better. Yeah. And I, I don't know, like, if this is maybe a cultural different difference as well, but QR codes are something that uh, I hear are more present in Europe. So we see a lot more QR codes everywhere so that we don't have to type out links. So seeing QR codes might have, um, like, increased as well when you have, like, those OTPs scan this QR code things. And so I think having understanding what it is that you see and that you have to point your phone at it to actually get something going there, I think helped maybe with, with this as well. So, um, is, just is that from a thing? A, I, I got to ask. So instead of texting you a code, they show yes. a QR code on the screen and you hold your phone up to the screen. That's how the, no, no this it's, it's like Google authenticator app and like you, you open the app. Oh, are you talking um, about the initial registration with exactly, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Exactly. And you, you like, you have the thing, um, open, you click on the plus and it opens the camera and then you just hold it onto the QR code. Sometimes like but some password managers is what I'm asking on the screen where you, that's, Amazon yeah, that's busted. Yeah. That's what I'm saying is they show you a QR code on the screen. You Amazon. Yeah. yeah, exactly. Exactly. So this is how it usually is in Europe. And then you just add 
add it to your app and then you truly have a second thing because i'm i true uh to like um in regards to cloning sim cards and you don't even have to go that far if your icloud account of course and they are doing second factor with the map thingamajig but if your icloud account has been uh compromised and if somebody else gets your iMessages, then they get your texts as well and yeah. then they get every bank text also um for me also another thing my bank in europe and i also, second thing here where I'm like, I know Europe um, different in that regard. I, I heard that some banking at like institutions from Europe tried to go to the US, but apparently your way of doing things is way different. Uh, my banking app is uh, prompting me every time I log in, no matter where to, to open it. And it uses like the biometric verification from my phone. So on my iPhone, it uses face ID. I have two apps from my bank. One is the identification app. The other one is the banking app. And every time I do a transaction, every time I log in, I have to open this app. It um, verifies who I am, like with face ID or touch ID. Then I see um, what is going on. Like if I'm logging in with a code there that I can co uh, compare from this device I'm logging in to the app itself. And um, then I have to approve it. I click on approve again. So this is like, I like the way the direction it is going. And every time I do a transaction, I see the 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 uh, account code where I'm sending the money to, how much and from which account of mine I'm sending it to. So every time I get this message and uh, it sends notifications, so I don't have to hunt around for the application where it is. And it's it's fairly straightforward. So this is how it's like maybe going coming to the US, uh, US as well, but this is how it's in Europe like um, moving towards. Not with every bank, but more and more are adopting this approach of having two apps: one where you see your accounts, and the other one where you like identify yourself. Yeah. Yes, and, and and it's interesting. You talk about the biometrics. That's something you are: your fingerprint, mm -hmm. your your retina scan, your facial ID. Um, do you ever have trouble with false positive and false negative when you're trying to log in? And the, the, this is always the, the question with biometrics is if you're, if you're requiring my fingerprint, um, what if I cut my finger while I was, you know, uh, tinkering with my motorcycle or something like that, or while I was, you know, cooking dinner, I sliced my, my fingertip. Is that going to, is there another route then to authenticate? Can you tell your bank app when you're trying to log in, my finger's not available at the moment, or my face is puffy because I've got the COVID, or, you know, uh, I was drinking all night, so my eyes are bloodshot. Can you tell your bank, I need a workaround for the for the biometric? Um, and, like, for the where it is installed, you can set up a code for this app where it is installed, or I think you have to as well. Uh, and I think it has to be six digits or more. I don't know what the maximum is. So there is a code backup, um, but it is only available on that phone. If you want to move it to another phone, you have to visit the bank again. So if you lose your phone, destroy your phone, whatever, um, an iOS backup is not recovering this capability. So you will have to get to the bank again, verify, of course, with a driving license or something. Uh, I don't know how like secure driving so licenses are in the US. Go to the bank? I have to physically go there. Yeah. Wow. And grab a new piece of paper to scan and stuff. Huh. Yeah. Huh. Had to do that once. And Matt, <laughs> uh, when we when we were talking about doing this episode, one of the examples you used, go ahead and talk about, you know, the, the thing that that infringes on our two-factor authentication capability. Yeah. <laughs> right, yeah, and, and Rafti hit the nail right on the head. Rafti has a, uh, a back door into his 
perfectly well secured account in that he has a backup code to be able to get in in case something else goes wrong. And that's always my biggest complaint is that um, every two-factor account that I have has some sort of a backdoor to be able to get into it. Either uh, when I set it up, they send me a list of uh, 10 numeric digits that um, uh, they say, oh, keep these as your, as, your, as your bypass codes in case you lose it. Or, um, you know, you can just uh, uh, call our, our help desk and they'll turn off your two-factor authentication temporarily so you can sign in. So there's always some way into it. And if someone were uh, to be enterprising enough to, to, to try to get into someone's account that was secured with two-factor, there are ways to get into these things um, if, the, if, if the proper steps haven't been taken. And you also mentioned, you know, the, the big downfall with something you have being your factor. <laughs> That's right. something you have is eminently portable. It is a, a high theft risk. Uh, yeah. It's the sort of thing you can accidentally leave in a hotel or an Uber or drop in the toilet. It's your phone, yeah. right? Right. Yeah, and, yeah, exactly. And if you lose and Not your to phone, mention, I mean, even legitimate reasons. You, you get a new phone every two or three years. Yep. <laughs> so, so yeah, uh, your, your, your phone is, is this device that's verifying who you are, yet it is the, the least reliable of any of these things because it's going to be replaced, it's going to be lost, it's going to be stolen, it's going to be broken. Something's going to happen to it. And then um, you, you mentioned a, a circumstance where you had uh, changed the phone or you'd lost a phone, yep. and then suddenly yep. you couldn't get into all the accounts that you had established right. with that phone. And what was uh, yeah, so again, as an admin, um, yeah, I've got um, uh, two-factor turned on, on on every account that I have that uh, can possibly use it. Uh, by and large, I use the Google Authenticator app, which is a standard uh, two-factor um, uh, application. I had uh, gone and bought a new phone to replace my old phone, um, did the usual transfer of data, doing it the old way, where I did a, a backup of my phone and then restored the backup to the new phone, and the Google Authenticator information didn't transfer over. And I didn't realize it until after I'd already gotten rid of the old phone. And all of a sudden, uh, I couldn't sign into <laughs> anything because all my accounts were gone. So let's point out then, the irony you know, here and that, this is when Matt, I realized that I, I want to point out the irony here that Matt <laughs> is a forensics professional and his entire job right. at, in some cases is to actually pull data off of phones and put them somewhere right. else. So, so right, right. it's not like you yeah. didn't know what you were doing. I mean, it, it's, right. it's the, the process failed. Yeah, you would you would think that uh, uh, I I would have thought of this, and, and it was just something that I didn't do. Um, but anyways, that's what led me to to realize that I had back doors into all these things because I have uh, personal accounts with uh, backup codes. Um, I've got tech support numbers, and in fact, in some some cases, um, like in my Reddit account, which is uh, secured with two factor authentication, all I did was just email them uh, and said, "Hey, can you turn off my two factor?" Guy emailed me back within five minutes, said, "Yeah, it's turned off for you now. Go ahead and sign back in, recreate your two factor." And I was like. How does this guy have any idea who I am? You are who you claim to be, right? right? Yeah, 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 yeah. But but nonetheless, you know, it, I, I guess I met whatever criteria they had internally, and he was able to to, to verify that, or he did no verification at all, for all I know. Yeah, and, because uh, and really, what's the, the exposure on your Reddit account? I mean, <laughs> right, right. Yeah, and, yeah. And, and it's funny because, like, one of the things you oh, mentioned is all of those things have a link for forgot my password. And yep. all of them, the default is emailing you a reset link. And it seems to me that, that email has become, like the phone, one of these giant catch-all things where, well, 
we're going to assume that your email is protected and that you are you. Otherwise, all of these things aren't going to work anymore, you know, and that's a huge I think that's right. a huge aspect of potential compromise right there. Yeah. Yeah, especially if you don't own your domain, if you don't own your, and I mean, in that regard, the question is, what does owning a domain mean? Um, like, it's it's very hard. I, I agree. And what this, like, do you host your own email server? How do you protect this? It's not like, do you can make a day job? There, there are people selling you email inboxes. Um, so it's very hard. I know, I know. Um, uh, you were saying about um, earlier, and maybe I'm, I'm going off a tangent here, so you can, of course, call me back in, but um, maybe some interesting idea then is um, my email address, like to log into my email, I am move, uh, I'm using a different um, username than anywhere else. So my email login, it, because you were, what were you were saying, like, this is one of the things I have to watch out for has a different login than, than all the other services I'm using. And I then create email aliases in there. Um, so that I, for instance, rafty.com, uh, I own this domain and this is, uh, from this domain, I usually send out emails but this is so not the email address associated for logging into my email account because this is the, the thing I'm plastering everywhere. So, um, of course, it's um, I want so to, you're, to protect You're it. relying a little bit on security through obscurity by having a unique identifier for this one use that isn't. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. And, th and that's not Which, a terrible idea. Absolutely. Yeah, and, and Google makes it very easy. I tell this to people who are using Gmail. I'm I'm so much telling people not to use Gmail. But if you're using Gmail, <laughs> the the capability of putting a plus after your like um uh, your regular email. So if you have like email at gmail.com, you can like have email plus and then whatever the sensuous sounds of infosec at gmail.com and then this can be used as um of course, uh, as a login. So for the longest time, when I have been using Gmail, I had my regular like Rafty plus Amazon random number at um, gmail.com as my like login. So this, of course, yes, security by obscurity, but <laughs> somebody who tried to hack into my, like wanted to do the password reset thing and they know my email address, they could never guess the random what number the, I put yeah, underneath. Yeah. Exactly. That's, that's Even if cool. they now everybody knows that I'm having like Amazon in there, <laughs> like the number, and it can be as long as you want, you know? So, yeah, that's, that's another great thing. Mess with the identifier as opposed to the authenticator. That that's, that's pretty awesome. Um, we had talked about, uh, Rafti, you had mentioned two particular products that you uh, suggest or that you're familiar with um, that people can use for this two-factor or multi-factor authentication. What were the products? I'm not sure. Oh, I you're not going to remember. Authenticator oh, okay. earlier. And I think I said oh. YubiKey as well. I've, yeah, I've been using yeah. yeah. Not sure YubiKey. what the other one was. I have been using a YubiKey for a year now. Um, not every service supports it. And the backdoor thing, Matt, you have been saying earlier, like every YubiKey, of course, like you need a second YubiKey or you need um, an OTP, like those numbers you put in anyway as a backup with when you go for that route. So now, now what um, is YubiKey? Is YubiKey a token or is it? Yes. Uh, a, okay. And so you actually have a, a, um, 
a physical device that displays mm -hmm. numbers on it that syncs up with the algorithm on the back end of whatever you're connecting to. No, no, I got it wrong. No, no, it uses um, different protocols. It's something you have to insert um, uh, into your device you're using, or it oh, so works it's like a with NFC. Uh, NFC, yes, yes, it has a USB port. Like mine okay. has a USB C um, and NFC, so I can use it with the iPhone as well, even though it's USB C and not Lightning. Um, and um, it, the, like the the way how it works, it depends on the protocol. Mine ca uh, is capable of using different protocols, but um, typically, like the the desired way to use a YubiKey, the one that you actually want to use, the protocol is. The website sends you uh, a package, the YubiKey signs it and sends it back. So it. it actually, it's not like a passphrase. Somebody can like look over your shoulder, shoulder or something or an algorithm. I mean, of course, signing it involves some sort of um, algorithmic computing, but- Yeah, um, they're using their private key. You have the corresponding public key on, on the YubiKey and it's all transparent to you as the user. It's just doing the math and it says, oh, I know this is Amazon because I know Amazon's public key. That's pretty cool. Uh, and the other one you were talking about was WebAuthn? Yes, but YubiKeys can do this as well. Okay, what, what's, um, what's WebAuthn? This is something uh, This is something we have been looking into at Safing, uh, where we are thinking of maybe implementing it. YubiKeys can do this where, they, where you have the private key on your end, and um, they're sending you a packet again, um, <laughs> and you're signing it um, and giving it, back to them. And so what um, you now like with WebAuthn are doing is you're uh, removing the password, the necessity of passwords, not sure. And this is the reason why I wanted to talk with, with you guys about it as well on the podcast, if this is a good thing. But I think some companies are pushing for this, a passless future where you only have something that you own. You put in the 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 username, so you say who you think who you want to be, basically, and then you just plug in your your second like your device, which then does the authentication for you. And WebAuthn is, is uh, we started using it. I tried it. It's um, very interesting, um, and it helps, of course, with people who are reusing passwords everywhere because. The, the the package that you're getting sent and then sign, of course, looks different for every platform. And um, what's good about this as well is um, if somebody else uh, tries to fake you into signing into a, a, a website that looks like your bank, but of course, then can you not like can't send you the, the, the correct package to being signed, then of course on this end, you cannot be fooled as well. So this is an, an extra level of having security um, in regards to not having like trusting the websites you're actually like visiting. Um, but of course, I think it removes some sort of security by having only one device that's doing everything. And as you were saying earlier, it, if you move around, you want to um, have it with you to be able to sign into things. And so it will be on you. And yeah. people can, yeah. of course... If you leave um, your YubiKey at home, you're screwed. Yeah. But, but your YubiKey is also highly portable, which yes. means that you could leave it on your key ring and lose your keys. 
or you leave your keys <laughs> in your pocket and it goes through the washing machine. You know, I mean, there's these are the risks with the something you have. It's why passwords, although they're awkward and cumbersome and they're subject to password reuse, they've had they've had some duration. They they have longevity in our industry because you can always carry this around with you, uh, your brain. Um, and, and, <laughs> You know, that that makes it harder to lose. Now, some may say I've lost my mind, and, and that makes it tougher. But now it's interesting that you say uh, sending the packet back and forth signed. To me, it sounds like they're doing asymmetric crypto yep. uh, bi-directional so that you sign your packet with your private key authenticating yourself, and your bank is doing the same thing. They're signing the packet with their private key so you know it's actually your bank, which is nice. That gives another uh, level of assurance. That's that's pretty cool. And there is a great episode, I think, where Robin teaches um, cryptographic modules. I don't know which episode it was, but I listened <laughs> to it. And so if people want to get like refresh on how the whole signing thing works, there has been an episode in the past. That is the sensuous sounds of InfoSec. And yes, it was Robin Teaches Crypto. And I think she did a dynamite job for, yeah, not, yeah, she did. for not really understanding the concepts prior to when we started talking. And a half hour later, explaining the difference between symmetric and asymmetric. I, I thought that was outstanding. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. Cool. Oh, now, right. this technology, Rafi, that you're talking about <clears throat> made me think of uh, Microsoft recently within the last 12 or 18 months or so announced that they were going to start moving away from passwords, particularly for the Microsoft 365 Azure Office 365. And I never looked very deeply into it because my first thought was, well, if Microsoft is doing it, there's no way they're going to implement it right the first time. Maybe in five <laughs> years. <they'll> <laughs> But, uh, but have you researched any of this? Because I haven't, and, and I was just curious if that's the same technology that you're talking about where you're basically using some kind of a token or a USB device to verify who you are? I've been thinking if it might be. Um, I know that Apple, like the the T2 chip and the and mm -hmm. of course the M1 and M2 now as well, but the T2 chip and the and the older MacBooks, like the Intel based ones with the Touch ID, when that got introduced, um, is already capable of it. And Apple is sort of like. I think it is Apple is um, like on the iPhone using the secure enclave on there as well to sort of like being able to sign, like use your iPhone wirelessly as the this token you move around. Okay. Um, so Apple has sort of like prepared for this already, even though they're not talking about it as much. And so I th and it is WebAuthn with with uh, Apple. I they are WebAuthn capable. I know this. Um, or I'm fairly sure in that regard, not sure about Microsoft, but if Apple is already moving that way and if you big keys, um, which are the, like, like they're the synonym for, um, they're the Sharpies of, uh, authentication tokens. Mm -hmm. Um, is Sharpies, like, I think yes, that's... Yep, that's very oh, yes, common. Okay, yes, yes. <laughs> okay so... It used to be RSA. RSA used to make the tokens for everybody. Uh, okay. And I think... I think they've kind of lost the market lead, or at least I don't see them as ubiquitous anymore. Mm. Um, but when I worked in the DC area as a federal contractor, everyone had the keychains or the credit card shaped um, RSA authenticators that were constantly syncing up 
so every minute it would cycle to the next one and the next one and the next one. Yeah. Yeah. I think Google even handed out uh, YubiKeys in the past. So um, I, I think, I hope that Microsoft, I heard the same thing is, is using WebAuthn, even if they're maybe not calling it like this to the, to the public, because Google Authenticator is OTP. The codes that you're using, you can put into different things as well. And Google is not saying, oh, this is OTP and it's the open standard that you can use in one password or in, I don't know, whatever app you're, you're liking to use um, LastPass as well. So um, I, I recently got a Windows 10 laptop and uh, it's got the fingerprint scanner you know, built into the hardware. It's part of the keyboard. And they really were urging me as I was, you know, formatting, you know, booting the machine. Hey, you know, this will make it really easy. Give us your fingerprint. My thing about biometrics, among many other issues I have with it, is um, does this mean I can only have 10 different providers over my lifetime with unique identifiers? Because once I give you a finger, I'm kind of <laughs> screwed. I mean, I can't, I, you know, with a password, it's gone. You know, if I never want to use that account again, that's fine. It's That account is locked permanently. But with my finger, I can't really tell you not to have it anymore. And now you have that fingerprint in perpetuity. And if I, if I want to switch from Microsoft to Google or whoever, now I'm going to, I have to remember which finger I gave to who. And yeah, at, what point, at what point am I putting my foot on my keyboard and saying, here's my third toe on my left foot, you know? Um, and, and moreover, you know, Robin had, had a laptop that was locked that way. And at some point I was using her laptop to do some kind of editing or something. And we added my finger to her account. And, so now, you know, theoretically, I, my finger is identified as Robin, and and that makes for all <laughs> sorts of interesting permutations as well. Um, yeah. Well, and I think that you're getting been kind of into what does a fingerprint scanner or any other kind of biometric actually do, and uh, and and in that case. A fingerprint scanner that you're using to sign into your to your laptop or into your phone, it's not actually storing a picture of your fingerprint. It's it's, it's storing a hash of the photo or the digital scan image of that fingertip. Right. So it's right. got you, the hash. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah, it's it's using whatever uh, uh, biometric points that it's looking for to to create that hash. So so it's not like if you scan your fingerprint and uh, and your computer's not sending that fingerprint image to Microsoft but as long as anybody else has a picture of my fingertip and uses the same hashing algorithm, they should get yeah. the same message digest. That's my fingerprint in perpetuity. Yeah. Uh, you know, and there's, there's a finite number of hashing algorithms. If you have a photo of my fingertip, you could run all the hashing algorithms and submit each message digest to find out which one pops. Right. I mean, it, it's a finite number sure. and it's, and it's going to last for the rest of my life. I mean, I'm not getting a new fingerprint anytime soon. <laughs> same thing with a retina scan and same thing with a voice print. And, you know, if they're going to work, they have to be enduring, right? Yeah, maybe the, this will be a service in the future, you know, like getting a new uh -huh. fingerprint every Plus every two years or something. Absolutely. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. No, we'll, but tattoo, I... we'll tattoo some new morals <laughs> on you. Yeah, <laughs> but I agree in that regard. Um, like all years ago, when I was uh, sysadmin in, uh, or 
starting to be a sysadmin, um, one of the things that kept on, like when we introduced security cards as well, um, uh, talked about when we, when like, why don't we use biometrics? Um, the, the main reason why we didn't use biometrics, why we opted for something else, something you have, not something you are, is because something you are always is and can be an authentication, but never an authorization. Um, or it's bad authorization because, um, you like, then you would have to check if it is forceful, then you would have to check because you were saying like somebody is like using your, um, your, your, a photo of your finger. But of course, like I'm having on my iPhone enabled that when I hit the power button 10 times that my phone doesn't recognize biometrics anymore. And the reason for this is being, I mean, like in Europe or at least in Austria, the police is not that scary usually, but, um, there has been, especially with face IDs, um, situations where people have said that the police come up to you, try to unlock your phone, hold it in front of your face. And of course it just opens. Yeah. And it's a, so, it's, so it's a panic button. It's, it's a duress prevent, right? Where you, you hit the power button to make sure somebody else can't take your facial image or your fingerprint, uh, without your consent. And, and there, there has been that legal doctrine here in the U S the Supreme court has said the police can physically force your finger onto your phone and that's okay to unlock. Yeah. But they cannot force you to disclose your password, which Correct. I find a very interesting dichotomy and another reason why something you know might be slightly better than something you are. Not <laughs> that I ever anticipate being in that situation where the police are going to do that, but it's just nice um, to know. Yeah. 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 Ben, you bring that up. And, and the iPhones, I know that uh, you're not an iPhone guy, but an iPhone, if you do a hard reset of the iPhone, you cannot use your uh, biometric to unlock it the first time you have to enter your password the first time. And so it is a, it, it's now common knowledge that if you get pulled over or if you have a police encounter, shut your phone off because if they turn it back on, they can't get into it because they can't force you to uh, enter your password and you can't use a biometric to, to get into it. And remember, yeah. the sensuous sounds of InfoSec does not recommend criminal activity. However, <laughs> we're big on Individual privacy. autonomy. Yeah. <laughs> I don't want to say privacy because then Rafi and I are getting in an argument again. <laughs> oh, Rafi this has happened. You wrote a whole book against privacy. What are you talking about? This happened so much. <laughs> like when I listen to you uh, on and the podcast, I don't know where you're at. Maybe this is just a time passing. Maybe our conversations started to sort of convince you otherwise. But yeah, no. But personal security, of course, it's the sensual sounds of InfoSec. And we're talking about security and of course uh today about two-factor or multi-factor um to to be like and what the pros and cons are so i think it's um yeah like uh, matt what you have been saying um i know that if you have if you're turning it on again but there is a feature in the settings as well and maybe you ben you can look into android as well where what I said, like, if you hit the power button 10 times, you have to enable this, but then it starts an SOS call as well. Uh, you can stop this, of course, and it's locking you out as well. So you don't have to turn off your phone. You, you, because sometimes maybe you want to, you're like waiting for a phone call or something. So you don't want to turn it off. You're just like, um, uh, uh, like being aware of maybe the, uh, the situation that somebody like tries to get into your phone. And the second thing is in the screen before you turn off the phone 
I think it's volume up and it's it's um, power as well. Um, going out of that one requires uh, a passcode as well and not. Uh, Interesting. Good. All yeah. all good duress tricks that you can use to to keep your phone as you as as your under your control. And the next thing, don't use a pin code. Use an alphanumeric code, even though you're maybe just only using numbers afterwards. But just the open, like that, the keyboard opens up. People are so scared of this as well. Like, wait, <laughs> it's not just four times zero. What's up with you? Haven't you lived through, through COVID? What, <laughs> like your face ID not working? <laughs> yeah. So. <laughs> I don't know. My pin code one two three four has served me well for a very long time. I don't. Know. Hey, <laughs> that's the combination I use on my luggage. <laughs> yeah, but with the TSA with the TSA symbol, you know there are keys you can get on Amazon. Like luggage yeah. locks are no locks. Please don't. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Especially not on weapons lockers. So <laughs> and stuff like that. We're Americans. We don't lock our weapons. Um, okay. Right. <laughs> Gentlemen, I think we've beaten this one to death. I think it's, I think it's a fascinating topic. I think we covered a lot of good ground. Um, anything in summation or anything you want to talk about this week that uh, either of your companies or services are providing, something you want to promote? No? no. Oh, wow. <laughs> no. You're, you're both, both of you. See, none of you. People listening to the podcast can't see the expressions on your faces. Like, please, please don't give us more work to do. <laughs> more work than we know what to do it. I'll, I'll do fine, and I'll, I'll jump out in front of it. For those interested in studying for the CCSP exam, Wanabia is having a class in both July and another class in August at different time frames for different time zones uh, to meet your availability. Go ahead, register at wannabeaccsp.com. Uh, under live courses, and uh, I hope to see you in class. Yep. All I'll right. Watch for your class, Ben. De definitely for anybody who listens to this who wants to go take CCSP, take Ben's class because it's fantastic. Ben's engaging. Uh, I've sat through it. I I I spend evenings just just hopping on it and auditing, just listening to to Ben talk because I enjoy listening to him. <laughs> it's it's well worth it to to sign up for Ben's class. What Matt's saying is that he uses my voice for ASMR to put him to sleep. That's exactly yeah. what he's saying. <laughs> that's true. okay to, hey, you know, for whatever reason you want to take my class, please come and join. I, I don't and, discriminate in that, in that. And if you take Ben's class, I do occasionally hop on every now and then and provide my two cents on stuff. So, um, yeah, You've exactly. done great in terms of the forensics. Uh, you know, you come yeah. in as the, the expert and uh, uh, the students are really delighted. It's, it's pretty awesome. I appreciate that. Always enjoyable. All right. Well, then, until next week, I'm Ben Maliso. And I'm Matt Snotty. I'm Raphael. And we'll catch you again next week for another episode of The Sensuous Sounds of InfoSec.